All right, welcome back for another great episode of Talk to Tatiana. And today I have Nikki Adamson with me. Nikki, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. Me too. Um, so Nikki, share a little bit about what you do, who you are, where you are. Yeah, um, I live in Portland, Oregon. I've lived a little bit of everywhere, so I'm enjoying being up here in the Pacific Northwest right now. And I run Hustle Hunters. That's where I spend most of my time. We're a recruiting firm. We work with early stage startups and really in the business of team building. Less think less trust falls, more like WNBA draft, right? Strategically building the teams that are going to get us to that innovation goal that we have. So we spend a lot of our time working with founders and early hiring teams to help them think about what is the ethos and culture of their team? What is What are the soft skills as well as hard skills that are really going to be um, the foundation and backbone of their teams? to help them hire those early folks. Of course, going out and finding them is the easy part. The hard part is really identifying, defining, what is that thing we're gonna go for? So that's where we spend a lot of our focus. And it's just so fun to be able to be a part of all the innovation that's happening out there. And then kind of ultimately our mission is to diversify that innovation. That's awesome. And so how did you become an entrepreneur? How did you start your own business? What's kind of the story behind that? What was your path? Yeah, I kind of always knew I would start a company uh, my dad ran a business for my whole life, um, kind of the same one and then, you know, another iteration of it. And it's kind of just like always exposed to some of that. I have an uncle who um, has spent a lot of his career kind of doing like entrepreneurial pieces. He's pretty involved in some startups. So I've kind of been around that, you know, right? You talk about privilege and power and access to these conversations. You know, mergers and acquisitions are what my family talks about at the Thanksgiving table. Right. So I've kind of had that type of conversation going on a lot of my life and um, ended up working, following kind of went the nonprofit route, worked at the YMCA, um, was a gym teacher and then got to join my first startup. And it was love at first interaction. Um, I loved the pace and everything about the startup space. And I kind of had that entrepreneurial mindset and um, was the first two startups I worked at Milk Stork. And the first one was called Shoot. Um, I was there for four and a half years and just both times I had really transparent CEOs who kind of let me in on their journey. They knew that probably someday I was interested in making my own company that, you know, they kind of let me know both the like wins and losses and hard things. And um, so I kind of got to see what it took um, so that I would like be gathering skills along the way. And then just kind of like, I think my favorite companies are like mine, born out of my own personal experience. I had a baby and realized that the tech space as I knew it was no longer for me because my priorities had changed. I cared about being able to come in at 9.30 so I wasn't leaving my child you know, home alone at six months old. And that was not the conversation that a lot of recruiters, a lot of hiring managers wanted to have, right? They wanted to talk about the big work. And I wasn't willing to invest five hours of my time in the big work conversation if I didn't have my deal breaker answered. So that kind of led me on a long circuitous journey. Um, but I learned that, you know, I still love startups. I want to help startups do the work that they want to do and accomplish their missions and help them really be able to understand that not all employees fit into that bucket of folks who just want to like sit around the keg the whole time. And that there are this whole breed of startups, right. Of founders who are making like really impactful, doing impactful work. And there's actually work-life balance and you're still doing big work just kind of on your terms that actually let you like be healthy. So yeah, I'm really excited about like finding that space and then being able to work in there. Awesome. I love it. And um, how do you feel? Um, I guess you you mentioned is that you 
kind of made the transition when you had a, a baby, yeah. right? Um, and I, you know, I certainly can understand that because um, becoming a mom is was a big deal, right? And it is a big deal. And I certainly had my priorities shifted and kind of my non-negotiables shifted um, as well. And so I'm wondering, um, I mean, you said you knew kind of that you would start your own company uh, at some point, and this was like the final straw, I guess. Yeah. And after having my daughter, I ended up working at Milk Store after that. Right. So I then was like exposed to another company, but my friend, my good friend, Amy Nelson, um, she has supported a lot of like fam tech um, entrepreneurship and work in like the family technology space. Um, she loves to cite this quote. I forget the scientist, but it says that, you know, like the brain elasticity is at its highest, like a year after welcoming a child into your home that I think it's not surprising that in that year I was redefining so many things about myself, who I was, um, you know, I just created a life, like thinking about a lot of those pieces, um, that like creation was very much on my mind that, you know, I wasn't as stuck in old ways of thinking that I kind of had my mind opened to new ways of approaching problems. And I, you know, I started a recruiting firm having not done recruitment myself, right. I'd never worn that official hat, despite the fact that I'd been part of a lot of, um, recruiting processes as part of startups. So I kind of went into it with the approach that startups do this wrong because no one focuses on it. Um, we're not bringing the best people into my, our teams because at the end of the day, folks don't want to join us because it was too chaotic or, you know, we waited too long or they've already gotten other offers or whatever that is. Um, so then I have a great team of experienced recruiters and we were all kind of able to build and blend what we think startup recruiting should look like with like a really strong diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging lens. And what do you feel like just uh, in terms of the current landscape of, of recruiting of candidates? Uh, let's do let's go, through, you know, kind of talk through candidates first as opposed to businesses. What do you feel like the. Is the characteristic of a good candidate, regardless of the profession, really, I mean, um, for them to be placed, for them to find the job that they will enjoy, maybe not necessarily love, but will enjoy and be happy with? Yeah, um, for me, it's a lot about um, uncovering like where, what impact did I want to make, right? That's how we kind of figure out like what stage, what size of company, what size of specific function team do they need to be on? Is this someone who wants to like really hone in and just be the best in their class at this thing? Is it someone who wants to grow into a management role? Is it someone who wants to be a player coach? Um, is this someone who wants, you know, to build out the strategy and do the work strategy and not do the work and like help other people accomplish the work. So we figure out a lot of that in terms of like, what does that impact look like? And then, you know, in terms of culture, we ask the question a lot of like, what helps you do your best work? Um, and that's where we learn a lot about candidates. So for us, it really is about a match. So if we happen to have a company that, you know, they have the same ethos, then we're normally going to try to make that match. But in terms of candidates that we find that are, we're really successful with, it's folks that know what they want, right? They can articulate it. Um, they're able to frame their story in a positive way. Instead of saying, I don't want these six things, they're saying, I do want these six things right? Almost the same story, but you've taken the time to reframe it, right? You shouldn't go into an interview like it's therapy. You should have already processed that stuff with somebody, I would say, like with your client, <laughs> with your dog, with your therapist. Um, so often we find that candidates are still trying to, they're feeling guilty about leaving a job. They're still trying to convince themselves that they want to leave. Um, and that comes out in an interview. Um, the other thing that I find from candidates that I think do really well is when they use their recruiter as a person in their corner. Right. Using us as a resource, asking real questions, staying in touch with us, keeping top of mind, because, you know, 
I talk to so many people every day. <laughs> My team, they talk to so many folks every day and we have everything you know, organized and ATS and we're trying, but the more that you can use that person as an advocate, the better. Because at the end of the day, recruiters actually do have a fair amount of say in who gets hired. The entire hiring team, right? We're always trying to, you can't really know much about someone. 40% of like, I think interviews are 40% indicative of someone's like true work performance. So you need all the data points you can get. So your recruiter can be both for the hiring team and for the candidate, like a good sounding board. If you've got other offers, this person, you're not going to have to explain the context to. They can kind of like help you get to your best answer. At least a good recruiter should be able to do that. So that's something I look for is someone who's going to see all the resources in front of them and turn that person into their advocate too, um, as opposed to just seeing them as like a gatekeeper to move past. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think that there's um, maybe a lot of um, misunderstanding uh, as to the value of a recruiter. Like you said, to me, it's it's if you have a couple of candidates with the same client, you will recommend to a client a certain candidate they get to know. So I think it's this business in general. I don't I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but it's um, a lot about building lifelong relationships with people, uh, both clients and candidates kind of. Yeah, we find that trust is the biggest piece, right? And that's actually where we spend a lot of our time is working with hiring teams, especially founders, right? They have this thing, I just equated starting a company to having a baby, right? It's their like baby. Um, how do we get to a place where you're ready to give away the contact you've had with clients, right? You're taking a part of your job and giving it to someone else. Trust is critical there. So the more that a candidate can show that they're able to build that trust over time and have done it, you know, if someone builds trust with me in three calls, that's a pretty good sign that they're going to be able to build trust with this founding team. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you feel um, the landscape is now for the hiring companies? Meaning, you know, and this is my opinion, so I certainly don't, you know, I don't spend a lot of time with those who are hiring candidates talking about these things. And so, but I've noticed, I talk to other people and I notice how the conversations often go. And so I'm wondering what I've noticed, that I've noticed this trend that people, uh, candidates are no longer uh, bought into the loyalty as much. It has to be, and it, you know, the perks that used to work before no longer work. That people are, and this again, this is me just um, analyzing kind of trends. And, you know, when I talk to nephews and different, you know, different people around me, what I've also noticed is that they don't, um, well, first of all, there's a lot of jumping around. Um, and if you're like, I have a nephew who've stayed at the company for like three years and it's like, he's considered to be their, um, <laughs> not oldest, but like oldest yeah, employee. Senior, kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> Uh, and that's a little, you know, for me, it's a problem, but, but that's not, not the only thing like 401k things like we, what companies used to use to entice people to stay no longer work Cause and, you know, and also what doesn't work, what I've noticed, I don't know if you have, um, that like slaving for a company for just the resume, nobody wants that anymore. <laughs> it, I'm so glad you brought this up, Tatiana, because I literally, bef five minutes before we jumped on had this conversation with a client who brought this up, right? We're talking about retention. And I think 70, all the new stats are saying, you know, like 75% of employees this year have thought about leaving their jobs, even though it's a chaotic job market. So it's a really intense job market for candidates right now. And hearing lots of folks are getting ghosted, like they're applying, it feels like into a black hole. Um, you're, they're applying to roles that aren't really relevant anymore. 
And then they're applying to roles and there's heavy, heavy, heavy competition. So it's really challenging out there to get jobs. But on the flip side, it's also really challenging to hire. And there's a couple reasons there. One is that a lot of teams have gutted their recruiting teams, right? When you think of these layoffs, a lot of them hit recruiting teams. So, you know, that means that there's now like a hiring manager who used to have a team of five working for them to help them bring folks in is now doing that themselves, right? Without the training, without understanding kind of how all the tools work together, how their ATS works. So I'm hearing, you know, that's definitely part of this function is that everyone's stretched pretty thin. And at the end of the day, it really is humans on each side of it is one thing I'm seeing. Um, In terms of job hopping and resume progression, this is a conversation we have all the time. And kind of my personal beliefs and like the ones that we've kind of cultivated at Hustle Hunters are that they're, again, these are human beings, right? So there's a lot of good reasons to leave a job. Specifically, if you're thinking about diversifying your team in terms of um, race, ethnicity, and gender, specifically looking at folks of color, Black, Indigenous candidates, um, queer candidates, transgender candidates, anyone from like a more marginalized, like not, we call them historically excluded candidate groups from the tech space. Again, I'm th- speaking from kind of a startup lens, looking at women as well, non-binary folks. Chances are pretty high that they're going to have faced real serious discrimination at work. So if someone has experienced that real discrimination left a job, we have to take that with a grain of salt. And then I hear from a lot of hiring teams, well, let's look at the patterns. Well, sometimes statistically, (laughs) there's a pattern that this might've happened more than one time, right? And it's not about the candidate, it's about the environment that was allowed to run around them. So these are things that we have to take into account. Other, I like to ask candidates and say that, there's a lot of good reasons to leave a job. Can you give me your story? We don't wanna make assumptions because I think it's also naive to think that we're not gonna make assumptions. So we're never going to actually like back away from this. So instead, this is something I find a lot. Folks are, they're worried about asking the wrong question. So they're like, is it culture ad? Is it culture fit? I'll just leave that alone because I don't want to be biased. And I think that the opposite is true. I think we actually need to lean into it, really define what is culture. What is, what are we looking for? Do we want a bias towards speed or perfection? Let's talk about real terms. Let's talk about what communication means to us. So for me, that's kind of how we lean into that a little bit. But for a candidate, I think it's nice to say, like, what's your story? Tell us what that looks like. Because oftentimes there's a lot more behind the scenes. Oh, well, I got laid off because the whole department got let go. But then they hired me on as a contractor because they realized that I was invaluable to their team. That actually is a significantly positive signal to me as a hiring manager. But I might not have realized that on a resume because all I was doing is looking at the dates. So always encourage folks to kind of look beyond that and also to remember that in the last three years, there have been so many layoffs that and so many folks have had like long term caregiving needs. And there's so many good reasons to take a break from work that I always recommend that folks kind of go go a little bit beyond that um, to get the real story and figure out what are you actually looking for? Okay, I want someone tenured because I want a marketer who's going to be able to see a strategy through over time. Great. Let's go find that. Let's not just go find someone who's been somewhere for three years as a proxy. So that's kind of my long-winded answer to how I think about um, those gaps. And so I just figure out, what are we actually scared about? Are we scared they're going to leave us in a year? Probably. Okay, let's figure out how yeah. we can get enough signaling to get enough trust from that candidate in a different way instead of just making assumptions. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember, you know, I interviewed uh, accountants for a client of mine and 
this one guy, I, and I always, you know, I always ask some technical questions because I want to make sure that they, when they went to school, they actually learned something, uh, which I'm amazed at how much many people haven't learned. Um, they, you know, basic accounting fundamentals, but this one guy that we've interviewed and I asked him, um, where do you see yourself in five years? And he goes, oh, in five years, I'll have my own business. I'll be doing this and that. And we're like, okay, well, but that's a good thing, right? Because we, of, of course, didn't hire him. But at the same time, um, it's interesting that he answered that question truthfully. So we actually, ha- we, so we address that. We talk, we do an intake form. We love to use searchlight.ai, their intake form, where you kind of do these sliders of like speed to perfection. One is like truthfulness versus like, comfortability. And a lot of our clients will say it's really important. The truth telling is really important to them. And then in the interview process, we get a lot of feedback saying, Oh, I wish they'd phrase that differently. Or I wish they'd put a better spin on that. And then we have to kind of go back and ask like, does, okay, maybe for a sales role, that's important. Maybe that is a really like, maybe that savvy communication style is really critical for a sales role, but for your engineering role, what's more important, truthfulness or the ability to spin? So we kind of have to, that's where like the clearer that we can define exactly what we're looking for, the better language we have to kind of assess. Otherwise we fall back on past interview practices, right? Of like, oh, well, like you said, I'm glad they were truthful, but it wasn't a match and that's okay too. It doesn't mean we need to hire everyone, but also recognizing like, what do we care about more? Do we care about their truth? Is someone really going to stay here for five years? Like, what does our tenure actually look like? Just kind of being realistic about some of that stuff can be really helpful to make sure that we're we're not counting folks out that could be really great at our jobs because they wore mismatched socks to an interview, right? I think of all the things that so many of us were taught are like professional for interviews. And we're learning like, I don't like the term professional because I think it's it's definitely steeped in white supremacy and who it's whose professional is that, right? Um, but that's what so many of us think of. Maybe we were taught a long time ago in a job interview class. So I think we just need to redefine what we're looking for so that we can actively go find other stuff. Because if you don't replace the biased questions with something intentionally, you're never going to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm actually speaking at a, at a TEDx event in a couple of weeks. And one of the things that I talk about, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but um, I think it's important to know yourself. And this is what the young generation needs to hear and needs to know and to learn and spend some time learning about yourself. Because, you know, the one one question that really stumbled me back in the day, back when I was interviewing, we we're talking like decades ago almost, <laughs> uh, was that why should we hire you? And then, you know, the truth behind that was that I didn't know, I didn't have an answer to that. Um, why, why me? You know what I mean? Like, uh, like I, like I didn't know what to say, <laughs> but I feel like, uh, it's a really good, uh, question. And I'm wondering what's your experience, if any, with, with it and with clients, both candidates and clients. Yeah. Side. Something I like about that is it's kind of like the Twitter model of scarcity breeds creativity. And I think that, So many of us, I told my daughter recently that uh, she asked what I was doing and I was helping some of their resume and she's five. And I was like, yeah, so it's really challenging because we're trying to put all the experiences from her career onto this one piece of paper. And my daughter was like, 
one piece of paper her whole life. And it, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, you're right. It is wild. It is super wild that we're trying to get all this information down there. So um, I think we're so much more than a resume and it's nice to build that big picture, but there's something also to be gained when I'm asking someone, if you could only pick one, what is your number one superpower? There's a lot to be learned from what that number one superpower is, right? When they can't kind of give a long answer and check every box. So I like to approach it from both sides, but I really like a question like that. I think it's, it can be very telling. And then same when yeah. uh, we're scoping a role. Okay, if you, the number one thing you're gonna evaluate this on that we're gonna weight pretty heavily, what is that, right? Because we all want everything in a new hire. We could speak for three hours with a laundry list of everything we wish this person was. But again, what is that number one thing that when we get down to it, it really is? And then to mirror that back is always helpful. So you're saying the number one thing you want in this hire is X. And then oftentimes it lets folks be like, actually, no, it's this, right? Because at the end of the day, we just want to get the right answer. And it takes a lot, especially with founders and early folks to help just keep that out of their head. <laughs> I feel like we spend a lot of our time as therapists or coaches. And it's great because this is the people business, right? We're not just slinging around software. We're yeah. helping hire the humans that will then sling the software. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with that. Um, awesome. Uh, so, and as we kind of wrap up here, um, what is the ideal candidate for your company? Meaning, is do you have a specific niche or? Yeah. That's a great question. Thanks, Tatiana. So we work mostly with early stage startups. That's like a seed, series A, series B company. Things we look for are builders, folks who want to leave things better than they were. They really want to be part of the whole building. They don't just want to like get there when the whole building's done and they get to polish the windows. Um, we want someone who takes a lot of ownership, who actually cares about what the company is doing and cares and has pride. Right? can look back on past projects really and be proud of what they've done, who wants to iterate and have it maybe be hard, but also maybe be awesome um, and fun and kind of is part of a team, right? Has the grit to be sustained sometimes by the mission, sometimes by the team, sometimes by their own energy and ethos. So those are kind of the folks we look for. Um, we recruit across all and place across all functions. So any of like the first 50 to 100 hires on a team, that's what we work on across technical, go-to-market, operations, kind of the works. Awesome. And if you could go back in time and tell your younger self one thing, what would that be? Um, this is where I want not the one answer. I want the giant library list because I feel like there are a lot of things. Um, I think the biggest one would be to seek out when I have power. I think so many times in my career, I've had power and not recognized it. And in looking back, I realized that I was feeling the moments where I was feeling the least confident were the moments I had the most power and I was holding myself back. That's powerful. Well, thanks so much, Nikki. It's been a, such a pleasure to, to work with you. And uh, I mean, to talk yeah, to you, Jesus. Yeah. My, my kids are sending me a Roblox requests and I'm like, Oh my God, what's going on? Um, Anyway, so yeah, it's been really, really a pleasure to talk to you to explore this recruiting world. Um, and I've learned a couple of really good things from you. So thanks so much for sharing the nuggets of wisdom uh, with me and my my listeners. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed yeah, it Yeah, it's an honor. This has been so fun. Thanks, Tatiana. All right. And for everyone who's listening or watching, we'll see you next week for another great episode of Talk to Tatiana.